Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-Pack and 50% off a Caravan 10-foot by 10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale, in-store and online at cabelas.com. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to talk about the NBA draft. The timing seemed right, even though we're in the middle of the playoffs, because the lottery just happened, and I wanted to talk to Sam Vecini. He's a very talented writer, writes for CBS Sports. He does NBA draft, college basketball, and the NBA, so it's a, a great combination for this kind of work. And we talked about the top guys, we talked about some guys he likes in the late lottery, middle of the draft, and a lot of stuff also in terms of fit and how how these guys can play together and play with established players in the league. Conversation runs about an hour, I really enjoyed it, and I'll let you get to it. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, absolutely. I think that a good place to start is at the top, and instead of talking, you know, about who each team's going to take, though, I will like to get to that. Do you see Towns and Okafor as kind of a, a step above the other the guard prospects? Um, that's a good question. I do. I think that there are basically three tiers once you get into that top ten range. I think that you're talking Towns and Okafor on their own. I think they're they're just they're not transcendent big man prospects, but they're really good ones. They're going to be great prospects for whoever gets them. Uh, Moutier and Russell also, I think that they're both all-star level talents. Like, I, I would be surprised if, like, neither of them played in an all-star game eventually. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're, they're just very talented. Moutier is a great athlete, very strong for his age. Russell is almost preternaturally skilled. Like, he's, he sees things before they happen on the floor. It's incredible. And then, and then after that, you have the guys that, you know, they have more question marks around them. Like, Justice Winslow, can he develop into enough of a scorer to be a two-way star? Or is he just going to be like a strong defensive role player uh, that, you know, ends up being a starter in the NBA, but not really like a like an all-star level talent? Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, can he ever bring enough offense to jump into that echelon? Can he become Tyson Chandler or his hands uh, not good enough to even – be strong enough in the pick and roll to really uh, make a make a mark offensively in any way. Uh, Hizonia and Porzingis, they're they're both very talented. They both come with their own sorts of question marks. Porzingis around his body, uh, Hizonia around. Can he fit into a team situation given his you know just general confidence level, which is you know greater than just about anything I've ever seen. And then then you're looking at like your Stanley Johnsons, Miles Turner's, Kelly Oubre's, all of whom project as like solid starters, but you don't know that they have like the the high-end upside to get into that all-star level talent either. So, you know, I would say that Towns and Okafor are above all of those guys. You know, Okafor has flaws, but his skill in the post, it, it comes around once in a decade. It's incredible. Like, he's got incredible footwork. He has incredible touch around the rim. 
His face-up game is strong. He can handle the ball really well. His hands are incredible. They're massive. And his vision is incredible out of the post. Like, everything you could want in an offensive post player, Jaleel Okafor is that. And I think that's what makes him on Towns level. Yeah, what's so fascinating about Okafor is that there isn't a direct parallel in the modern NBA. You know, there are guys who've done similar things in in other generations. And so one of the kind of big talking points that you hear around the league is, oh, you know, it's the death of the traditional center. And my personal opinion on that is that the reason that happens is because nobody has the right combination of, of abilities on the offensive end to make it work. That's why I'm so excited about Okafor is that he'll be the test case. I think if anyone can work as a true back-to-the-basket center now, Okafor is our best shot. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. like He's not crazy dissimilar to what DeMarcus Cousins was coming out of Kentucky. He was He's better than Cousins was coming out of Kentucky. He's a lot more polished. Uh, Cousins might have had like a little bit more maybe explosiveness. But he's a lot more polished than Cousins was. He has the same length. Uh, they both have like near seven five wingspans. Uh, they're both like right in that six ten six eleven range. They're they're not crazy dissimilar prospects. It's just that Okafor, you don't really have to worry about the temperamentalness. Like I, I don't think Cousins is necessarily a cancer. Or he's a bad guy or anything. But he he's temperamental. I think is the best way to put it. Cousins had the same questions coming in defensively, and he's turned into. A pretty solid, I would say. He's he's probably like a league average defensive center at this point. He's not a great one, but and he's probably a guy that you need to pair with a rim protector. But his offense is just so strong. His rebounding ability is so strong. Uh, he's a really good passer that if you have to pair him with a rim protector, you do that at that point, you know? Yeah, that's definitely an interesting parallel. I, I I was so high on Cousins when he came out. For me, partially, I always liked his defensive instincts, even though the production wasn't necessarily there. One yeah. question I have with Okafor is his rebounding. Do you think that that will come around a little bit? Because from what I recall, it wasn't particularly strong for a guy with his talent. It wasn't great. It's worth remembering that Emil Jefferson is a pretty good rebounder from the power forward spot in college. Justice Winslow is a very good rebounder from he played a little bit of four a little bit of three he's very good at crashing the boards from that side so so i wouldn't be totally worried about okafori profiles well on that well in that skill level he has great hands he has massive hands he's a long wingspan he knows how to box people out he takes up a ton of space uh just due to his frame he has good instincts uh, I, I wouldn't be super worried about his rebounding he might not develop into a cousins level rebounder where he's grabbing 13 a game but I think that he probably will be like a 10-rebound-a-game guy. Switching over to Towns, the other number one possibility guy. With Towns, the fascination for me is that he could potentially play both big man positions and do that defensively, which is a, a very different thing mm-hmm. from the guys who slide between the two more as an offensive player. And mm-hmm. that also makes him super useful for a team like Minnesota or like the Lakers that don't have a ton of big man building pieces. Randall, obviously, you hope that he gets there. And, you know, same thing with Jang and Pekovic and guys like that that the that the Wolves have. But yeah. you can add a lot of different pieces around a guy like Towns and make it work. I'm less excited about Towns playing the four in the NBA, actually, than a I, lot of people are. That's fair. Uh, I, I, think that, I, I think that's probably a minority view. But his coordination in small areas kind of concerns me if you watch him on the perimeter he moves fine uh you know if he's guarding the, guarding the pick and roll he's pretty okay but but if you watch him in small spaces like when he's making these little rotations across the lane uh when he has to help or you know things of that ilk 
he gets a little bit off balance from time to time, and, and it leads to fouls, is the thing. He had uh, averaged almost six fouls per 40 minutes uh, in college this season, and part of that is due to the fact that he could uh, be so aggressive defensively just because of what Kentucky had. Kentucky had Dakari Johnson behind him. They had Marcus Lee behind him. They obviously had Willie Cauley-Snein next to him. So he could afford to be a little bit more aggressive defensively, but at the same time, it wasn't. A lot of his fouls didn't seem like that. A lot of his fouls seemed like he got a little bit off balance and just kind of hacked him with the body or hacked him with the arm coming down. Uh, and that's something that might, that might continue to get better as he grows older and, you know, just continues to mature into his body. He goes from being 19 to 20 to, you know, 25. You're, you're obviously, if you're that tall, you're going to get a lot more coordinated as you grow. The concerns are there, though is my point. And I wouldn't want him guarding fours in the NBA. And that that's kind of why I think his rookie season might end up being a little bit disappointing. But mm-hmm. the other thing is that's basically the only flaw I can see in his game. And it's a pretty marginal flaw. He is a guy that doesn't, he kind of does everything offensively. He can go into the post. He, uh, he can play in the pick and roll. He can pop. He can roll to the basket. He can, I don't think he can really shoot NBA threes yet, but he can get out to probably 20 feet and shoot. Uh, he's going to knock down his free throws. There was a point last season from February to like maybe the end of March, I would say it was going into the NCAA tournament where he knocked down like 90% of his like 60 free throws that he took in that time. It was really incredible. And then defensively, he can protect the rim. He's long enough. He's strong enough. He's got good enough instincts when blocking shots that, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to finish over him once he gets that movement down. So you're talking about a very minimally flawed prospect overall, and I think that's what makes Towns so interesting. And all that minimally flawed part and also his offensive versatility is why I like him so much more as a center because he forces Ooh. other teams out of their comfort zone. Because if you, let's say you're facing Marcus Hall and the Grizzlies, who do you put on him? How do you, how do you use him? How do you, how do you defend a team that can do that? And what's something we've seen from the Warriors this year mm-hmm. is they've played, they fiddled around with Draymond Green at the five to basically yeah. to put everybody around. And what that does is it opens up space for drivers. And if you can exactly. do that with somebody who can protect the rim and has legit center size, that's a, almost a, a game breaker in the modern NBA if you put him with the right coach. Exactly. And this is something that I think we're going to start to see more of in the draft overall. I think we're going to see more of these five guys who can go out into at least like the 18 foot range and knock down shots. Uh, I think we're starting to see it more already in this draft alone. We have Carl Towns, Christoph Porzingis, uh, Bobby Portis, you know, Miles Turner, Miles Turner. Yeah. Like there are a lot of guys that can really step out and knock down that shot and have potential to at least protect the rim. Next year, you have Scala Bissier, who's going to be at Kentucky. Uh, he's probably going to be the number one overall pick in 2016. Uh, he, he's a guy that profiles like that, too. So I think it's going to be a thing that we start seeing more of, actually, on the college level and going into the NBA. These guys that can really become that modern five, like stretch, like pseudo stretch five. I don't know if they're all going to be like three-point shooting fives, but, you know, guys like LaMarcus Aldridge that can really stretch the floor out and, uh, you know, be able to protect the rim minimally at least. Aldridge isn't great at that part, but he's, his ability to stretch the floor, you know, just creates so many more passing or uh, driving lanes for Damian Lillard. And the guy who has the stretch part, but not necessarily the five, is Frank Kaminsky, 
who yeah. I, I originally, when I was watching him in college, I was, I was a little bit skeptical of him as a pro, but as I've been watching more and as I've been watching some of his workout material and everything that I've been able to see, I'm starting to get him more and starting to figure out how he's going to fit in the league. And I'm getting more excited for it because also I, I heard him, I think it was Draft Express had a video where he talked about how he sees himself as a stretch four, which was very mm-hmm. interesting because I don't think anybody ever saw him as a rim protector. And if he has the defensive ability to defend fours, that changes how you can play another guy with him. Yeah. Right now, I think there are concerns about playing him at four just because he doesn't have great defensive fundamentals yet. Uh, Wisconsin was one of the worst pick and roll defensive teams in the NCAA last year. Uh, a lot of it was due to Kaminsky. Uh, some of it was due to their guards not being great after Trayvon Jackson went down. But uh, Kaminsky was part of a problem. He stands straight up. He doesn't really move well yet on the perimeter. But he has the athletic fluidity to where if you could get him to really get down in the defensive stance and, you know, bend his knees and, you know, get his arms out, you know, he, he could reasonably become a pretty solid pick-and-roll defender, and he could play the four. But for now, I don't think he's going to be able to do that. He's going to need some work defensively to be able to get there. But you're absolutely right. Like, if you look at what his skill set is, it's remarkable. His three-point shooting, he shot like 42% from three this year. That's not the best part of his game. The best part of his game is the ability to attack closeouts. If you close out even the slightest bit off balance on him, he dribbles like he's a guard. I mean, he, he can get into the lane with ease and he has terrific touch once he gets into that 15 foot range. Uh, he has this really nice, you know, over his left shoulder, right-handed hook shot that it, it's, it's very difficult to stop. And he's almost seven foot one. It, it's going to be really, really difficult to guard him in the NBA, even if uh, he can't defend, he's going to be a very good offensive player in the NBA. In my opinion, the place that I'm really hoping gets him is the jazz. I think that you could play him with favors, you could play him with Gobert, and you're just going to have a versatile unit that teams mm-hmm. would just struggle with. That's a very intriguing fit. Uh, I've had him going a pick later, actually, to the Suns in most of my mock drafts. Uh, that, that's another place where he would fit perfectly, He'd replace what Channing Fry brought them last year, or not last year, in 2013-14. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The Jazz would be an incredible spot for him, because if you played him next to Gobert, because Gobert's just a monster, overall he does everything well defensively, uh, that, that would hide a lot of what his problems are, and it would give them a little bit more space. Uh, you, you wouldn't have to play favors and go bear together a lot, I don't think. And they could really use more depth uh, on their forward line. I think I've even had them getting Kavon Looney a couple times in my mock drafts. Like th- they could use more depth in that forward line, and he would really provide them with a different dimension that they don't have right now. Since we're on the Jazz, the, my, my crazy dream scenario for them, and I'm not, this isn't like somebody who covers them and somebody who likes watching them, <laughs> is that they somehow end up with Kaminsky and RJ Hunter. Because I think if you add the two of them, just with, with the other pieces they have, adding them both, probably not as starters, just adding them as players on this team, mm-hmm. their rotation just gets filthy. Yeah, you know, Hunter, Hunter's kind of a lot of what they have, I think, because they have uh, Rodney Hood, who was pretty good as a rookie. Not great, but he was pretty good when he was healthy this year. Uh, he's he's pretty much a one-dimensional uh, shooting guard that can knock down three-pointers. That's a lot of what Hunter is right now. He's an okay ball handler, kind of created shots on the Sun Belt level, but he's also not very good defensively yet. He played in a zone at Georgia, or Georgia State where he was basically asked to just float around, kind of, and never really actually had to defend anyone. I actually asked him about that at the Combine. He was like, yeah, you know, uh, he, he 
basically said that like he hasn't played in a man-to-man scheme in a long time. Mm-hmm. It's because he played for his father. So he's going to be interested. I'm, or I'm going to be interested to see what he's like defensively in the NBA. He's good length though. So you would think that he might be able to figure it out. The Jazz are interesting too because they could conceivably look into trading this pick and if they traded this pick, got a legit, I mean, I, I think they could probably go out and get a legit point guard. If, if you did that, you could bring along Dante Axum a little bit more slowly. You could transition Trey Burke into more of a microwave guy off the bench, which I think might end up being a little bit more his speed, even though I loved him coming out of the draft. That, that would be interesting to me because they could get like someone like Ty Lawson, even though Ty Lawson has no desire to play in Salt Lake City, apparently. Um, that could really transform them into like a six seed. Yeah, it, there's definitely an interest there. And something that I have that I'm intrigued by in this draft is the idea of guys that can handle the ball either as primary or secondaries who defend mm-hmm. twos. And so RJ Hunter is one of those guys, but the, the centerpiece of those is D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. And Russell, I, I, a lot of people, uh, it gets into one of my things about people calling guys point guards. From what I've seen defensively, he's a two, which is fine. He's, he's not a point guard. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't understand people. So, so the value, yeah. yeah, the value of him is that he can bring those primary ball handler abilities and responsibilities while not defending the position. So you can play him with one of those guys who it needs to defend ones, but it can play on or off the ball. That's why, right. you know, and, and we just talked about Dante Exum. Exum could be one of those guys, at least for a little while. You know, there are a ton of players around the league that fit that bill. I mean, I think of Monte Ellis as another guy like that who ideally would be defending ones, but there just mm-hmm. aren't enough guys who have two guard two guard plus size you know obviously there are a couple lebron harden guys like that yeah but there's an intense value for that and and with russell part of the reason i like him more now than i did early on the season is that if you have the if he's willing to and it seems like he is that he can slide into the secondary ball handler role in certain situations mm-hmm. that's a luxury that you for any team to have that you have a guy who's a knockdown shooter who when you give him the ball can actually do something with it. Yeah, he's uh, very, very good at running off of screens. That's one thing that I think it's a little bit underrated about him because, you know, there are the incredible passes, the incredible vision that he has. Uh, there's the shooting ability that, you know, it, it's readily apparent in his ball handling ability. It's readily apparent, like, just from watching him. But one thing that really does get underrated is he's really good at running around baseline screens. He's really good at coming off of down screens. Like, he knows exactly how to create space for himself off ball. And that profiles really well as an off guard that transitions sometimes to the lead guard responsibilities, I think. is th- That's more what I think his role is going to be in the NBA. Like, if you can put him next to, oh, another guy like Ty Lawson, I think would be an interesting fit next to him. He has so many different ways that he could fit a variety of teams. Like you said, defensively too, uh, that matters just because he is going to be able to guard twos and you are going to be able to play him with those combo guard guys. You're going to be able to play him with point guards. Uh, if, if he went to Minnesota, like if Minnesota went totally off board and picked him number one, that would be a tremendous fit. I think with Ricky Rubio, Andrew Wiggins, because both of those guys are very good defensively. They could take some of the pressure off of him while he continues to get stronger. Uh, he could continue to space the floor off ball, uh, run off of screens, like I was saying, and they could continue to run that like power wing post game that they have with Shabazz Muhammad and uh, Andrew Wiggins. And defensively, 
you know, you could have him guard twos. You could switch him onto ones if there's a tough two that, you know, Ricky Rubio at 6'3", 6'4", he can probably guard a lot of twos in the NBA. So th- that's a tremendous fit to me, too. Um, and you could, hide him on, you could hide him on threes periodically if it's a bigger two that you want Wiggins on. Exactly. So th- that'd be a great fit to me as well. The triangle for Russell, I think, is a very good fit, actually, with the Knicks. Yeah, he's very good in the pick and roll, and, you know, everyone says the Knicks ran more pick and roll throughout the season, but I think that eventually they do want to transition to more of a triangle under Phil Jackson. Um, he's still going to fit that triangle mold in the same way that Kobe Bryant did, because Kobe was a lot more of a lead ball handler, I think, than people recognize. Like, he handled the ball a lot more than Derek Fisher, obviously, whenever they were with the Lakers. And... Russell can do that same stuff. He's really good at moving off ball. Like I said, he's really good spacing the floor. Uh, he's a very good passer. So, you know, I, I don't know why people would think D'Angelo Russell can't fit the triangle at all either. I think that he's basically going to be that Swiss Army knife that fits any variety of teams in this draft. One of the really fun dynamics with this draft, and I think about it primarily with the lottery, but it's true deeper than that, is how well a lot of these players would fit together. I think about if you obviously the top two guys I think would be an amazing front court combination, but that's cheating because <laughs> that's the front two guys. But even groups like Hazonia and Justice Winslow, I think that would be a really fun combination. Yeah. Kaminsky with a lot of the different guys: Kaminsky, Willie Cauley Stein, Kaminsky Portis. Yep. You know, you go in a lot of different directions. And the sad thing for me is that no team, because what happened with the Sixers, no team really has that ability right now. Though obviously <laughs> you could trade into it. Yeah, you know. That, that's really, it's really a fun point. If you look at Jalil Okafor, if you could pair him with like Miles Turner even, that would be an incredible, incredible matchup. Uh, if you could pair, oh man, there's so many, there's so many of those here. You're totally right. And I do wish that more teams had multiple picks in this draft. The Lakers luckily are one of those teams. I'm not really a Lakers fan. I live in Los Angeles, so it makes my life more fun if they're relevant. But the Lakers, you know, they have 27 if you could go out and get Jaleel Okafor, and, or if you could go out and get whoever. Like, you go out and get Jaleel Okafor, and then you try and pair him with someone ridiculous like Robert Upshaw. I don't know. <laughs> like, just try and have all of the floor protection. Like, have all of the rim protection that you could possibly desire. Uh, that, that would be fun to me. Just go super, super big and just see what happens. <laughs> One guy that played with a lot of elite talent and suffered for it in terms of his own stock, but I'm having trouble placing him in the NBA as Trey Lyles. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a good player. I see that. But what I have trouble with, and you probably have a better idea of it, is what his NBA skills are going to be. What's going to be his calling card as a professional? So, yeah, he's in kind of that same boat as Sam Decker, where the idea of his skill set is a little bit better than the reality right now. Lyles, he has potential to be a shooter, but he was also one of the worst shooters catch and shoot this year in the NCAA uh, among guys that had 40 shots. He has potential to be a uh, decent defender of fours, but he didn't really get a chance to do that this year because he played opposition at the three. He's a very good mover off ball. You can just watch him. He understands exactly uh, how to get open and how to find his own shot. And that that's something that tends to translate really well. Guys that know how to play the game of basketball tend to succeed in the NBA. They're sm- smarter guys, even though he might be a little bit athletically limited. He's not super athletically limited. He moves well laterally, but he's not necessarily an upwardly explosive athlete. Uh, those kind of guys do tend to translate even without the uh, superior athleticism. I, I think he's definitely a four. 
I think that for him to succeed, he is going to have to be something of a stretch for, which means just continuing to improve the consistency of his jump shot. I think he was only around like maybe 0.7 points per shot this year on catch and shoots. And that's a little bit terrifying. Part of that is because he took a lot of long twos. He needed to step back and try and get into that three point range uh, a little bit more. He needs to understand how valuable that is, but I think that's something that comes along with time. You continue to get better at it and you continue to expand your range, get more comfortable where you get comfortable. Uh, I think that if he can do that, he probably will be a solid NBA player. could even turn into an NBA starter. Like in the, I, I don't know about David West mold because I don't know that he'll ever be that physical defensively, but uh, he, he could turn into something resembling that on offense. I, the guy that I think about, and I, I think you have him going there in the draft, I think about Portis as being kind of a, a David West type player. Yeah, I've been comparing those two pretty regularly, actually. Portis is a little bit bigger. He's like 6'11". That he plays with that same edge. Like, <laughs> there is nobody that plays angrier in this draft than Bobby Portis, and I absolutely love that. He is he is an MFer on the court, like in every way, way shape, and form of the word. He plays so hard. He's going to get down and really defend you on the perimeter. He's going to force guys. Like, he forced Carl Towns away from the bucket uh, on post-ups this year with relative ease when uh, those two teams played. And that's not an easy thing to do, given that Carl Towns is a six foot 250-pound beast. With Portis, he's not the most explosive guy. He only had, like, a 31-inch vertical at the Combine. That's a little bit scary. It probably limits his value to an extent, but... I can't see a way that he fails in the NBA. That's why I think I have him a little bit higher than most people do on my board. I have him at 12. Like I said, I can't see a way that he fails. He's going to work so hard. He's a perfect fit in the modern NBA because he can really step away and shoot. Uh, he shot, he only shot like 40 or so threes this year, but he shot them at like a 42% clip. Uh, that holds up from last season when he shot really well from the mid-range. So yeah, I- I'm a very big Bobby Portis fan. I think that he is going to be very, very successful in the NBA, pretty much wherever you put him. You can put him at the four, you can probably play him a little bit at the five, and he's just going to fit so many different situations that it's going to work out well for him, I think. Yeah, he's definitely an exciting player to add into the league, and another guy who fits that bill for me, I've been if you want to use the word caping, I've been caping for him for years, is Mario Hazonia. And Hazonia, the parallel that I've been making since, I think since 2011, maybe 2012, because he was on Zagreb with Saric in 2011, is to me he's a lot like J.R. Smith. And people can think about that a lot of different ways, and a lot of the positives of J.R. Smith and a lot of the negatives are in Hazonia. But what I, I I like to say about that is, if we got another try at a guy like JR with his physical talent, I think he'd probably turn into a better overall player than what JR did. And that's a testament to his talent. That's not try I'm not trying to make that a dig on JR. It's just that's yeah. how prodigiously gifted he was as a basketball player. Yeah, JR Smith was 100% a all-star level talent. Like in every regard. I, people that forget that probably a little bit short-sighted, I think. Yeah, and I mean he's a guy who has the athleticism to defend two positions, you know, mm-hmm. can can dunk, can shoot threes, and can be such a a huge part. And what's exciting in a way about Hazonia is that it looks like he's going to be going in a a little bit lower in the draft, which means that he can get into a better situation. And with him, I think the surrounding talent in the system is going to be so important for how how his first contract goes. Yeah, I agree with that. He's a guy that I think could go anywhere from like number three to number eight. Like it wouldn't even surprise me if like the 76ers were just like, because 
Sam Hinkie's going to take the best guy, like the guy he thinks is the best at number three. And if he created his own yet number three, it would not shock me at all. If he ended up passing below seven or eight, I'd be surprised. Uh, he's a terrific talent. You're absolutely right. Uh, he He's like around a 40%, 39% three-point shooter over the last two years. Uh, he really gets out in transition. He's physically ready right now. Like he's six foot seven and a half, 218, 220 pounds. Like he's a big dude and he's strong. Like you're, you're going to be able to plug him in immediately and play him without really any, any real concern. I think the, the real, the concerns happen whenever he starts going into Mario Hazonia. I think I am the best player on the floor mode. Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes it's not okay. Sometimes he just, goes nuts and does J.R. Smith things like you alluded to. And the question with him is just going to be, like you said, can he find the right situation that will maybe try and tone down some of those tendencies? Uh, I don't necessarily know what that situation is. Maybe maybe the magic where they'd have Alfred Payton handling the ball a lot more. You'd have all of that young talent. And it seems like they have a lot of high-character talent down there, too. Uh, I know that Aaron Gordon, um, Victor Oladipo, both of those guys are very well-renowned as high-character guys. Um, that could be an interesting fit. You know, seven. I can, tell you, I can tell you where I want him. Miami. Miami would be very fun, too. Um, that, that would be a very, very good fit. He would have uh, Goran Dragic to kind of take him under the ropes a little bit. Plus, you'd have Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade to help him out a lot, too. I doubt that he gets to 10, but maybe Miami tries and tries to move up a little bit and goes to maybe number 8. If he falls to number 8, that would be interesting. So, yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I think Hazonia's, Hazonia could either be an all-star or he could be, like, Croatian Nick Young. So uh, I, I don't see a lot of in-between there either with him. What, no matter what, he should be in the league pass commercials for next year, assuming he comes over. Just because yeah. he's going to be that guy, at least for me. And and something that I love, and we see this with a couple of the European players in this in this draft, is that they've been playing against high-level competition for a long time. I mean, Hazoni is a guy, he's been with Barcelona since 2012. He's played, I think he played in his first Euro League in 2012 as well. Even Zagreb's not, like, bad. Yeah, and Porzingis has, been, Porzingis has been playing against quality competition for a few years, too. And that also goes along with a guy that, that you brought up a great point on Twitter a couple days ago, and something that I've been leaning on a little bit, too, is that Emmanuel Moutier is not Dante Exum and this guy that scouts no. haven't seen. He played in American high school, and he would have played in American college had a few things happened differently. Do you he know just, why there were so few GMs that went over to China and saw him? Like, there's been something made of Sam Hinkie like going over to China and seeing him. Like he was the only GM that did it. Do you know why so few GMs did it? Because they'd already seen him. Yeah, like they, they've seen him enough. They don't need to waste the expenses to go over to China and see him. They don't need to waste their time to see him. They already have him scouted well. Yeah, and he, I'm fascinated with him because his physical talent is off the charts, but to me he also seems like a good basketball player too. He's not one of those guys who's just the athlete. But it is yeah. going to take him a little while to adjust, for sure. But that's true of any super young point guard. Yeah, no, I, I think that actually the Chinese League probably helped him a little bit in that regard because the Chinese League is very renowned for being highly physical. And he is a very physical player in general. He's, like, massive. He's six foot five, 200 pounds, long wingspan. He can kind of bully his way past a lot of guys. But the thing is, he also has a tremendous skill level. He has a great feel in the pick and roll. The thing that he is best at right now is getting 
getting his defender. He's great at turning the corner and then getting his defender on his back on the pick and roll. And then being able to like kind of scope out shooters or decide to take a little floater, decide to go all the way to the rim. Like his ability to make decisions there is like, it's, it's incredible. Sometimes he makes a poor decision in going for the, going for the home run, fancy pass, like behind the back, like goofy stuff like that, like any young player does. But the, the thing that I've been comparing Emmanuel Moutier to is imagine a, Imagine a pass first Tyreek Evans. He's that same kind of athlete because Tyreek's a very, very good athlete, very physical athlete, very strong athlete, very long athlete. Um, he's not in the explosive mode of your, your John Walls, your Russell Westbrooks, but he's in that very strong, very, uh, very quick athlete, uh, mode of Tyreek Evans. And imagine if you could what Tyreek would be like if he was a pass first lead guard. That, that's basically what I think Emmanuel Moutier is. And defensively, he can probably defend ones and twos, as far as I can tell. Yeah, he's he's six five, six eight and a half. The defensive, the defensive intensity wavers, as it does with a lot of these guys. But uh, eventually, I think if he really focuses down and uh, really, really clamps down on that end and decides to give effort, like if he was in a playoff game, I think it would be fine. I think that he could be a guy you could pair with a lot of those. Uh, one of those smaller combo guards, like a Lou Williams, for instance, that is very explosive offensively and should be guarding ones. So, yeah, no, I, I really like Emmanuel Moutier. He's the number three player on my board. I actually have him a little bit ahead of Russell. If, if I was the Knicks and he's sitting there at number four, I would take him without hesitation and just trans, like, mold my offense around it. Like, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't sit there and be like, oh, we want to run the triangle and he's a bad fit for the triangle. I would change my offense to fit him. So would I. And also, if you think about Carmelo Anthony as eventually becoming a four, which I think is going to happen, especially with his physical issues, the, a one-four pick and roll with those two guys would just be devastating. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It would be. I, I'm a little bit less sold on that happening just because it seems like they're set on signing Greg Monroe, which I don't think that you can play him in Monroe at four five. I think that you're going to want to get a sleeker, quicker four that can... Or Colley Stein. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Colley Stein would be a tremendous fit for this team uh, if they could find a way to move back. Like, I don't like him at four, uh, but if they could if they could move back, that would be intriguing to me. Maybe get, like, a couple of extra assets. That's not really... The problem is it's not really ideal. Like, it, it's very hard to move back in the draft. There haven't been... There have been, like, two or three teams in the last decade that have moved back from a top five pick. Uh, and neither of them really got anything of value, I believe. Yeah, what you're praying for is that one of the teams in like the six to eight range has fallen in love with whoever the fifth exactly. fourth guy is, and that's certainly possible. I mean, it hurts them that it's probably going to be a guard, so that means a team like the Pistons are probably out of it. It, it, it could happen. And but if if you're Charlotte, for instance, I, I really like Emmanuel Moutier there because you could play Kemba with him. I hmm. think. Like, yeah, I like you could play Kemba off ball if you could, if you could convince Kemba to really hone in on his catch and shoot ability. He's a good shooter, uh, not an elite one yet. If you could really focus Kemba in on improving as a catch and shoot player, that could be devastating. I think. Yeah, that's that's an interesting fit. I hadn't really considered that. I'm just scared that Moody is going to go to Orlando, and they're just going to build an entire team full of guys that can't shoot <laughs> and Channing Fry. The scary thing is I think that they're probably going to take uh, Justice Winslow because he fits their M.O. Like, he's high-character guy, potential to shoot, not really there yet. He, he shot, like, 40% from three this year, but 
you know, it's a slow shot. The mechanics aren't terrific yet. Uh, he's good. He's a good shooter, not a great one. But high character, high defensive value, crazy athlete. Uh, you know, he fits exactly what Rob Hennigan likes. Uh, Alfred Payton, Aaron Gordon, Victor Oladipo, um, Mo Harkless. Uh, they got Mo Harkless in the, uh, the Philly trade with, uh, Bynum and Dwight Howard. Like, there, there's so many guys that, like, fit into that MO that Rob Hennigan likes. I think that that's probably going to be their pick. Well, and that's what frustrates me so much about the Magic is they have so many guys I like that I don't like together. Yeah, I agree. Which it would just get worse with Justice Winslow. Yeah, like I, I don't even love the Alfred Payton Victor Oladipo backcourt. I, I, I specifically don't because Payton. I, I I mean, there are lots of things to like about him. I was low on him as a prospect because in I didn't today's, like him either. In today's NBA, it's really hard to have a perimeter player who can't shoot. Yeah, um, I, I had him like in the low twenties last year. Actually, I, I was extremely low on him. He he wildly overachieved compared to what I thought uh, he would be in the NBA, just because I guess I somewhat underestimated his athleticism. It, it, when you can get into the lane like he can, uh, and when you can defend like he can, I think that you're going to be okay. But not everyone can be the John Wall model of point guard. Like the, the returns on that type of player diminish rapidly. Especially because, when you get more of them in the league. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Moutier really fits into that realm because he has defensive versatility and that he can guard ones and twos. He has better shooting mechanics overall. Like he's, his shot isn't broken like Alfred Payton's is. And the other thing is Payton improved a lot as a shooter at the rim throughout his rookie season. He was very, very good at finishing at the rim in college, but he needs, that's his next spot where he needs to improve and go from being, uh, you know, in that Ricky Rubio class of point guards to maybe a better one. If he can become like a 60% shooter at the rim, that would be very big for him. Yeah, it definitely would be. One thing that I've been thinking about in this draft is it's kind of comparing guys in different years is on overall defensive potential, where would you put Kali Stein relative to Nerlens Noel? Oh, see, it's tough because of their... Their age difference, I want to say that New Orleans was two years younger than Willie coming into the draft. Well, yeah, because they played together in Kentucky, right? Yeah. Um, they, they're in the same class, actually, of uh, freshmen, like uh, a high school class yeah. is the best way to put it. Willie, I would say, is more polished and a little bit better. I think he's a better prospect coming in, but the age the age difference obviously makes up for some of that. Um, he, he's not the same turnover forcer that New Orleans is. Uh, Nerlens is just like, he, he wreaks havoc, uh, with his arms. He's very active. He has active hands. Willie's not that. Willie is more of your Tyson Chandler type defender where he can literally stay in front of anyone. Like, if you watch that, uh, play at the end of the Notre Dame game where he stayed with Jaron Grant, like 93 feet down the floor, uh, it was remarkable, to be honest. He's that kind of guy that will stay with you no matter what, but he's not necessarily going to force turnovers either. He's a good shot blocker, uh, and that will help. That will help in that regard. But he's not really going to be a guy that gets steals. Not going to be really a guy that uh, you know forces force turnovers. He'll force bad shots though, and that's a little bit more important in my opinion. Um, so I would say Willie's a little bit better than Nerlens was coming into the league. They're probably about on the same level though, as far as prospects, just because age difference matters at that point. Oh yeah, it, it really does, and. 
what I like about Cauley Stein is he's a very different defensive player, and it'll take a little bit to get to use him, but I think that in a team concept, especially if he can stay with the same franchise for a little while, I think they'll figure out what he can do so well and mm-hmm. utilize that. I mean, in some ways, it's harder than a guy like Gobert, because he's just, Gobert's just like, okay, you, you protect the rim, that's what you do. Yeah. But, but at the same time, that versatility makes him really intriguing and also it opens up another world of possibilities because you can play him with a lot of different guys I mean you think about you know maybe even somebody like Kaminsky or mm-hmm. Porzingis again talking about guys who fit with guys in the same draft but you could also one thing that I've been I've been on I, I have tweeted out like two weeks ago and I've been saying it for a while is I think it'd be really fun to see Colley Stein with DeMarcus Cousins and you have him with him right now in the mock. While there are offensive limitations, I think that a lot of those go away because of how monstrous DeMarcus is. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm a little bit worried about the fit with Rudy Gay. I think it might, the, the scary thing with that is it might turn Rudy Gay into Toronto Rudy Gay where he started to settle for jumpers a little bit more. Yeah, um, I don't think you worry about that as much, though. I think you're you're building around Colley Stein and and Cousins as opposed to Rudy Gay. I don't know that I agree with that because they just signed Rudy Gay to that extension, and they have him for at least three more years. I know that. So to an extent, you kind of are building around Rudy Gay, though. Like regardless of like our opinions on what Rudy Gay is, Sacramento seems committed to him to a point. So I think that that's a little bit scary in that you might turn Rudy Gay into the worst version of Rudy Gay again, where he has very little value as a, as a floor spacer. But again, Colley Stein's defensive ability next to cousins is just terrific. It's incredible. Um, he, he'd be able to do exactly what cousins can't do. And cousins would actually accentuate him really well in the post because cousins is a very, very good post defender. Uh, just because he's so big, he's so long, he's able to push guys off the spot and if you had a big center uh, that, that you struggle with in the post, you could put Cousins on him. If there's a floor spacing five that uh, Cousins can't guard, you could put Cauley Stein on him. Uh, so that fits terrific, I think. It, it would be incredible. Yeah, there are offensive limitations, but you can you can work around those. You could put you can put Cousins in the post and put Cauley Stein as like your designated screener on the perimeter. And th- yeah, they might not totally respect him, and it might not pull a guy away from like the 12 foot range in the lane. But at the same time, if you have a good guard, if you have a, if they could find a way to get a decent point guard that could, you know, make force that guy to make a decision force Cully Stein's defender to make a decision. uh, That would matter. I think, and that would be a tremendous fit. Yeah. I'm definitely on board. Let's move outside the lottery a little bit. And what players outside of that, speaking more to what, you, what the guys that you like, do you think are maybe underrated or that, that you particularly like in that, you know, let's say 15 to 30, or if you want to go deeper, if there's a guy you really like in, in the 40s, fine. 15 to 30 range right now. Uh, I might be a little bit higher on Montrez Harold than some. I think that he communicates really well defensively. He's going to be able to guard uh, guard most fours, some fives. Uh, just because he's so strong and he's very long, uh, his standing reach, despite only being six foot seven ish, six foot eight ish, he has a nine one standing reach. So you're probably gonna be able to play him on some fives at least. And he's very good on the perimeter. He moves well. Uh, he was able to switch on to just or uh, just Winslow multiple times in their games this year against Duke, and he was totally okay with that. Another guy that is the guy that might be the most intriguing guy for me in this entire thing is Christian Wood. 
because he's a six foot eleven power forward with tremendous athleticism uh, and tremendous length. He has nine foot three standing reach, uh, seven foot three wingspan, and he, you know, used it this year for UNLV. He blocked shots really well. He uh, he rebounds really well. He averaged a double double. He's a very good slasher out of the mid range. He has jump shot mechanics that you can work with and try to improve. Like he could go anywhere from fourteen to twenty eight. And I wouldn't say that it was out of place, depending on the situational fit. Like he's he's a guy that's very interesting to me. And uh, another guy that I've kind of I've totally done an about face on is Terry Rozier. If he can play point, and it looked like at the combine that he probably could due to the increased space around the three point line and in the mid range, uh, he's not the guy with the best vision, but he's a, he looks for passes basically, and it looks like the increased space has helped him find guys better from the spot-up spots from three-point range on the wing and the corner, et cetera. Uh, and he's a guy that's going to be able to get into the lane regardless. He's a tremendous athlete. I-, I like him more and more as a sixth-man type that you can play at ones at the one or the two. Uh, and he has tremendous heart. He's a good kid. Uh, he's going to defend his ass off. So uh, he's a guy that I had, like, in the 50s or 60s to start the year, and I've done a total about phase. I have him in the first round right now. I really like him. Yeah, I haven't seen much of Wood, but what I've seen I've liked. And the guy for me in that range, and you can talk about Pac-12 bias considering I live on the West Coast (laughs) and went to UCLA, but Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. To me, he's the best perimeter defender in this class. I agree with that. And if you're the best perimeter defender in in, in a class like this, which has plenty of good players, then I think there's value with that. I I don't think, you know, that he's going to be that, you know, dominant, you know, I don't think he's going to be Scottie Pippen or anything like that because Pippen's offensive game was so remarkable, but Mm. there is an intense value in the NBA to a guy who can do that at the small forward position. And I think he can defend twos, threes, and fours. If you put, if you can make a guy that makes Kevin Durant's life hell for, for a game, that's worth it for a playoff series. That's worth it. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree with that. He's six foot seven, seven, two wingspan. He's going to be able to play forward sometimes. Um, he, he does need to fill out his body a little bit more. He's only around 210 pounds right now, but that'll happen. If he gets up to like the 225, 230 range, uh, just by the time he continues to get into shape and fill out as a 20 year old does by the time he turns 25, he's a guy that I think could make an early impact in the NBA. He's in that range of guys that are all the rage in the NBA right now. Those, you know, six foot eight to six foot six shooting guard, small forward, power forward guys that, are very versatile and can defend a lot of positions. Like, like the Bucks have a seeming, like, plethora of them that can do all of this. Like, it, it's the reason Chris Middleton is so valuable right now. Uh, he's able to guard three different positions and shoot. Uh, if Rondé can get any sort of a semblance of a jump shot, he's going to be incredible. And the, there are a lot of teams that I, I love him on, but the one of a team down there that would just be ridiculous. I always say this with the Spurs, but I think for Rondé, going to the Warriors would be an unbelievable situation because he would be the eventual replacement for Andre Gudala. Yeah, the Warriors would be a very good fit. The Grizzlies, imagine him in the grit and grind. Uh, that, that would just be very fun, I think. Or with LeBron. Or with LeBron, uh, that, that would be intriguing. I don't think that they would go that route because I think that they really, really want spacing from their small forward shooting guards, like all of that. Uh, so, so I think they might be more interested in someone like a Justin Anderson 
uh, even though Anderson's shot is a little wonky to begin with, even though he shot 48% this year, uh, that, that's a, that's an inflated number a little bit, but he still shows a lot more potential to shoot the ball. And I think that would matter to the Cavs. But yeah, Rondé's, Rondé's going to be an NBA player. He could be a guy that we look at, uh, you know, next season and be like, Oh, how did that guy go number 21? Like we were doing early this year with KJ McDaniels, just because he plays early. And then, you know, like five years down the road, we're like, uh, you know, that makes a little bit more sense. He never really, developed beyond like a terrific defender but yeah he's he's going to be a guy that i think could make an immediate impact in the nba and it wouldn't surprise me at all yeah i i i just think that he has that and also again another guy we talked about a little bit with Hazonia, who i think is going in the right range for that to happen you know he might not be one of those guys who plays a ton of minutes but he he has like a, he strangely swings like a couple of games let's say like around the all around the trade deadline and you're like oh my god i can't even i can't even remember that that why is this guy on a team this good? Yeah. And another guy like that's Michael Qualls, uh, from Arkansas. He's, you know, right around that six foot five, six foot six range. Uh, he has a seven foot wingspan. He has like an eight, eight, five standing reach for guy that's that tall. Like he's tremendously long. Um, a terrific, terrific athlete. He's going to be in that Chris Middleton mold again. They can guard two, twos through fours. Uh, the key with him again, jump shot. And he actually has like, the semblance of a jump shot. He shot 34% over the last couple of years and he shot quite a few threes for Arkansas. Um, he, he intrigues me a lot because he cares defensively as well. Um, same with Norman Powell. Norman Powell's a guy that's going to figure it out. I think he, he's tough. You know, he, he's physically tough. He's mentally tough. He really gives a damn. Like even if he never develops into like a 35% three point shooter, He's going to be a guy that you can put on ones, twos, and threes defensively and feel confident. Yeah, and think about that. Both the the two guys that went to Arkansas are yeah. could be factors in this draft. I mean, not even just the SEC, but I mean Arkansas. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is. Um, they were very good this year. They kind of sucks for that program that they they lost both of them. Uh, Qualls basically said he left because he has a kid and really wants to support his family himself now. That, that's just unlucky for that program. Uh, another defensive guy that intrigues everyone, I think, is Robert Upshaw. Yep. I don't think anyone knows what to do with him right now. Uh, he's His problems are, they're bad. <laughs> we'll, we'll just go with that. Um, but I think having him on a late first round slotted contract is actually pretty amazing because then what you're doing is you have time to evaluate him and if it and at a low cost. And if it works, you get him for four years for really cheap. Yeah, that that's very interesting. It's just going to be whether or not you want to guarantee him that money. It might be tough to sell your owner on guaranteeing him that money. I've heard some things about what his problems are <laughs> that I can't that I can't report. It's good. It's not going to be the easiest sell to your owner to get him involved. But his skill set is so tremendous that if he's over his immaturity, he's going to be a tremendous value. Like you said, he's going to be a he might be a hundred million dollar player if he's over his immaturity. He can, he's that good of a rim protector. He averaged, I want to say 7.4 blocks per 40. The next closest is Miles Turner at 4.7. He dwarfs people when it and comes he, to rim and protection. And he rebounds too. And he rebounds. Like he's, he is a Rudy Gobert level prospect when it comes to protecting the rim. Like there's no doubt about that. It's just whether or not you can get him in the right state of mind to, off the court to really make that impact on the court. One other guy that I'm higher on, and you could put his brother in there too, but I have a really 
distinct feeling that Andrew Harrison is going to be a much better pro than people think because he because having him as a secondary ball handler and having him defend twos makes him so much more useful as a player than what he was what they had him do at Kentucky which just wasn't his skill set. Yeah, I actually I like him a lot more than I like his brother. Uh, I don't I don't think his brother is an NBA player. I think Andrew is though. Um like you said, the ability to really handle the ball and to create plays for others from potentially the two guard, but even from the one uh, one guard spot, he's going to provide versatility to defend both ones and twos, and you're going to be able to play him with uh, one of those one of those combo guards if you really wanted to. And in all honesty, he has the size to defend threes if you really need him to. So yeah, he's he's a guy that I like a lot. He's another guy at the combine where it looked like the increased space from you know just extending the. Uh, NCAA three-point line out to the NBA three-point line. It looked like it really, really helped him. He was able to find those little, uh, those little creeks and crevices that don't really exist in college and they really didn't exist at Kentucky because of how big and long that team was. I, I like him to the point where if a team used a first round pick on him near the end of the first round, I probably wouldn't call it a bad pick. Yeah, I mean, you need a certain guy to put next to him. You need somebody who has a jump shot that people respect. And yeah, but there are plenty of those guys out there now. That isn't really an uh, issue. And so, I, I think that he has a place in the league. It'll be harder for Aaron. But Aaron's a shooting guard that can't shoot. And exactly. He's a shooting guard that can't shoot that doesn't understand that he can't shoot. Yeah, is the biggest problem. Like if if you watched any of the combine interviews and stuff, he was just like, "Yeah, I, I think teams know that I can shoot." And talking to teams. That's not the case at all. Like, if you listen to anything the teams say, they're just like, no, he's a shooting guard that can't shoot. Like, he cares defensively. He has interesting ball skills, but he's a shooting guard that can't shoot and is like an average defender. That doesn't have a ton of value in the NBA right now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It's also kind of crazy to think about how deep this Kentucky team is that I think a lot of their second their second round players could do pretty well too. Uh, Dakari is uh, an interesting player. He, I don't think he's the greatest prospect, but he's another guy who could fall into the right role by dropping a little bit. Um I'm not real high on him. I don't know that he's an NBA player. Uh, he's he's a below the rim guy that he's got good standing reach. He has 9-4 standing reach, but he's he's below the rim player at night with a 9-4 standing reach. Uh, he, he has no athletic explosiveness. He had a 25-inch max vert. Um, he's a guy that you have to convince to get into good shape. Um, he came into the combine pretty overweight. for Not overweight, but a little bit big for what he was. His body fat content was a little bit higher than what was expected this year. I, I, I don't see it with him. He, he struggles to finish around the rim, too. It, he struggled to do that in college, and I don't see how that's going to translate to the NBA. Uh, I think he's going to have it tough to really carve out a role in the NBA. Yeah. Like, like if you made me pick someone between him and Allen Williams from UC Santa Barbara, I trust Allen Williams to rebound and defend a little bit better than I trust Dakari to do the things that Dakari does. The last question that I thought of, and this is a little bit off the wall, but I think it'll work, is if you could match up skip this poll process and match up one player to a team while being realistic. So, you know, not like Carl Towns on the Cavs or something like that. Mm -hmm. What, what do you, what would you be most happy with as, as that one matchup? Probably Carl Towns on the Timberwolves, a realistic fit that I think should happen. Uh, and I know, I know that Flip Saunders has said uh, that he apparently he's just told people around him that he likes Okafor a little bit better than Towns, but the fit there is just so tremendous with what they have already. Um, he, he, with Ricky Rubio and with 
you know, Andrew Wiggins in tow, they're going to have to find a way to space the floor somehow. And Carl Towns can do that. He'd be a guy that you could run in, uh, in pick and roll settings with Rubio and you could pop out and you could create a little bit more of a driving lane for Rubio by bringing that big man away from the rim. He'd be a guy that because he can be out on the perimeter a little bit more, you could run that power wing, uh, post up game with Shabazz and with Andrew Wiggins. Um, defensively, the Timberwolves were, the worst defensive team in the NBA because they were the worst defensive team protecting the rim in the NBA last year. They gave up 69% of their shots within three feet of the rim uh, last season. Uh, th- that's unbelievable. I want to say the league average is 62, 63, somewhere in that range. Towns can protect the rim. He profiles well to do that. Uh, he- he'd fit next to any variety of their big men prospects. Like, uh, you know, you know, they have Gorgie Jang, you play him, reasonably play him next to Jang, I think. Uh it might be might be a little bit of a struggle on the perimeter defensively, but they're both super long, so I think that would probably mitigate a bit of it. You could play him with uh Adrian Payne, that'd be intriguing. You could play him with Pekovic probably, but again that would create a little bit of some problems, I think, defensively. Uh and, and I think that Pekovic's time in Minnesota's might be running out a little bit. It, and then you could play him with the, the, the Serbian or Croatian guy on the Manja Belichka or however you say his name. That, that would be an intriguing fit. But basically any guy that they have in their front court, in their back court, he fits with. And he has legitimate all-star potential. He'd be adding to a team that has all-star potential in Andrew Wiggins already. Depending on what you think of Ricky Rubio, I probably don't think he's an all-star, but I think that he is a tremendous, tremendous role player as a point guard because he can really defend. He's probably one of the five best defenders in the position in the NBA. Um, he has defensive versatility and he's Rubio's intriguing in a lot of ways, both on ball and off ball because he's a very good cutter off ball. He's a little bit better of a catch and shoot guy, I guess, than I gave him credit for. I talked to Lane Bashro of uh, Nylon Calculus about this a little bit, and uh, he shot something like 35, 36% off ball from three this year, uh, catch and shoot wise. So that, that's interesting. But yeah, you know, Towns is just the perfect fit for that situation. And it, it's really hard for me to, to really understand why they could pass on him. And on top of all those good points, the Wolves will probably be one more year away from really, you know, making a push. And that means that they can add an extra quality player with the versatility to go. First of all, if they want to go heavy offensive, they can do that. But they can, they get to add that one more piece. And then the hope would be they'll also have flexibility that next summer to, to spend some money. You're probably not going to be getting, you know, a high level free agent, but you can use money in a lot of other ways. And so you would be a really good fit because that would it would allow them to kind of crest at the right time. Right. He fits the timeline very well. I, I think that I said earlier in the podcast, he might have a bit of a down rookie season just as he continues to adjust to the NBA, the quickness of it, uh, the way that the way that it's a, the way that people move in the NBA and how he's not necessarily the most coordinated guy yet, even though I think he's going to develop through that phase. Um, with Okafor, I think Okafor probably is going to be an impact player immediately. Uh, he, he's just so polished. Uh, and I think that his defense isn't as bad as he's gotten, uh, gotten criticized for. Uh, I think that he's going to be at least playable. Uh, he's probably worth a couple wins to that team, honestly, if you and, draft And he's going to get counting stats. I think Okafor has to be considered right now before we know where guys fit. He has to be considered the favorite to win rookie of the year. I would agree with that. Uh, basically, 
basically 100%. Um, he's, I, I just don't see a way that Okafor doesn't develop into a 20 and 8 guy. Something like that. Like, even if you think the rebounding never really comes along, the scoring is just that strong. He has that good of a touch. I do think the face-up shooting game will come along. He already has the face-up driving game because of his terrific ball handling ability um, and his touch. I, I think the shooting will come along. I think the free-throw shooting will come along. It's not a bad stroke. He struggles with his confidence a little bit sometimes uh, and ends up just kind of leaving his hands high on his free-throws or, you know, not getting his lower body involved just because he doesn't want to be at the line. And I think that will improve as he continues to get older. He has a good basis, at least uh, mechanically, for a jump shot to be good. So... I think Towns fits better with the Timberwolves timeline. If they can go ahead and add a shooting guard next year, that would be terrific. Even though next year's draft isn't isn't great for shooting guards, uh, if they could find a way to do it, it would be great. Yeah, it's, incidentally, I think the, the guy who would have the best shot at unseating Okafor for Rookie of the Year would be if Russell goes to Philadelphia. Yeah. I, his, I mean, any, His counting stats would just be insane. Yeah, yeah any of the Philadelphia guys. Like, if, if you get Moutier or Russell in Philadelphia... Um, even if you got his own, you in Philadelphia, I think that all three of those guys would have a really, sh- really great shot to be the uh, rookie of the year. But then again, if Okafor goes to the Lakers, he's going to play 30 minutes a game. So, and everybody will see him play and and all that. Yeah, yeah, you know, he'll, he'll, the Lakers are guaranteed 25 national TV games a year. So, uh, anything else you'd like to share with listeners? No, not really. I, I'm pretty excited for this draft. It's going to be. I think it's a deep draft. Once you get down to like 25. Um, right in that range. Uh, I think that most of those guys are going to turn into solid NBA players, solid NBA role players. And I, I can't really say that about most drafts. Like last year's, I didn't love that draft depth-wise. I actually liked 2013 a little bit more depth-wise, despite the uh, obvious problems at the top uh, as far as talent. So, so yeah, I think this is going to be a solid draft uh, depth-wise. I think it's going to be a solid, uh, solid draft overall because there's very good talent in the lottery. There's very good talent throughout the first round. I don't like any of the second round, basically. (laughs) But I I think that there's going to be very solid picks throughout the entire first round. And that's good because next year is planning to be a pretty bad draft. Well, I look forward to how much fun the next month is going to be. And thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, anytime, Danny. Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read him at CBS Sports. He does the NBA draft. He does college basketball. And he does the NBA you can also read him on Twitter. He's Sam underscore Vecini. That's S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. And also he is doing the Amateur Hour podcast with Brian Giberman on the Hardwood Proxies and Basketball Network. It's also available on iTunes. And right now they're actually doing a mock draft and they're going through episode by episode, going through each pick and giving each one some quality detail. So I think people who enjoy this podcast would probably enjoy that as well. So thanks again to Sam for coming on. I love talking to people who are more knowledgeable about these types of subjects than I am, especially this year. I didn't watch a ton of college hoops, had enough other things going on. And I'm always open to other guests. I mean, I was thrilled with Sam. And so if you have somebody that you'd like to come on that you think would be a good fit, you can let me know at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X on Twitter, or you can email Daniel.LaRue at RealGM.com. I promise you that I read everything and I respond to as much as I can. And also you should check out the Dunked On basketball podcast, which I'm frequently a part of with Nate Duncan. I've been thrilled with how well it's done so far. And if you're a fan of either podcast, one huge thing you can do is you can subscribe on iTunes and also you can give a rating. That's something that matters in terms of 
getting other people to see it, you know, getting it to be more prominent. And also, you know, it's nice if, if you like something to do that. I'm actually starting to do more rating myself. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. Hey, Greensburg, your Walmart at 2200 Greengate Center Circle has completely transformed to make shopping easier than ever. Stop by today and check out their amazing in-store upgrades with improvements to areas like produce, cosmetics, home, and more. Plus, you'll still find low prices on groceries and other items and a full-service pharmacy for all your prescription and over-the-counter medication needs. All at your newly remodeled Walmart at 2200 Greengate Center Circle in Greensburg. Save money, live better. Walmart.